0: With their minuscule families,
1: humans are often forced to rely on a state or a nation for support. Pity them.
0: We welcome you once again to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I am Ryan Mazzocco. And I am Telemachus Maestri. And... What? Telemachus Maestri. Telemachus Maestri.
1: I'm sorry, I didn't recognize you. I thought you were Ethan. Oh, I'm the genetic reincarnation of Ethan Maestri.
0: Oh. I thought that Benito Noriego was the genetic reincarnation of Ethan Maestri.
1: Well, I am also a genetic reincarnation of Ethan Maestri.
0: You're telling me it happened twice?
1: Yeah. Man,
0: what are the odds of
1: that? About a trillion to one, maybe? Maybe a little bit more than that.
0: Man. Wow, that's talk about beating the odds. Maybe you should go get a lottery ticket or something.
1: Yeah, I, I, and I would just like to say, Ryan, I actually have some proof here. Let me give this to you. Uh, that Benito Noriego was responsible for last week's technical error. What? That's what his is fault. this?
0: Where did you get all... This is amazing. Yeah. This is some really incriminating data. You know what? Um, We're going to nail Benito for this, because that really hurt our podcast last week.
1: Yeah. Um, I figured you guys would appreciate this. Yeah.
0: So we're going to have to nail him on this and see if we can get all new stuff for the podcast so this kind of stuff doesn't happen again. um,
1: You know benitos he died, right? Fiery explosion.
0: Oh, yeah. At the very end of that podcast. He is dead. Okay, well, hmm. I got an idea. I know what I'll do. Okay. I can, just looking at these documents, I could very easily forge these documents, and I could pin this all on you. That way, you'd you'd go to jail. I'm sorry about that. But Mm. we could still uh, have some sort of a report to turn in, and I can get all the insurance money. We can get all new mics, a new mixer, uh, new computers, just everything, a whole new setup. It's really going to make this podcast just that much better. And isn't
1: that really what we all want anyway? Sure. And as much as I don't like that idea, it's a sound plan. I would do that. Yeah.
0: Mm, nah, I'm not gonna do
1: that. Uh, uh, well, all right then. Okay, well, let's just move on to the show. It's home fries. Oh man, Ryan, I love me some good home fries.
0: Cut them up, too, yeah.
1: A little salt and pepper. Mm, you know, get a little uh, fried mushrooms in there too. Mm. Man, mm. I do love me some home fries. Um, let's talk about it.
0: Okay, although I, I guess I should make a correction. This episode is not home fries. It's Home Fires.
1: You and your darn dyslexia. I
0: know it. This really, truly has been plaguing me (laughs) this whole past week and even before. Every single time I look at the name of this episode, I say in my head, Home Fries. Well,
1: you're not alone in that, friend. That's why it's a bit.
0: All right. Good. (laughs) I appreciate that. I'm not the only one. So anyway, I guess let's go ahead and talk about it. Home fires. Fires. Yeah. Ethan, you have some stuff for us on this one.
1: I sure do. Okay, uh, this is uh, home fires, and this one was written by Ethley and Vare. And uh, it's good to see her work once again, having her, having had her on the show. Yeah. And uh, hearing her perspective, we also have the return of Steve Basic and the introduction of Telemachus Rade. We also have Sam Sorbo returning as Dr. Sarah Riley, and we also have uh, a couple of other guests: uh, Francois Yip as Raquel Ben Zion. Benzion? It's just a Z. It's a silent T. As Raquel Benzion. Uh, And interesting about her, she was born in northern Vancouver, uh, British Columbia. Uh, But she has early credits in uh, the movie Rumble in the Bronx, starring opposite uh, Jackie Chan. Oh, wow. Actually, not starring opposite. I think she just had a, a bit role in the movie. But then she goes from there and begins doing other action films coming out of Hong Kong. She actually does speak Cantonese, so it was an interesting early career for her, but then she gets uh, later on in her career into more mainstream North American television, and so we get to see her here in this episode of Andromeda. And then she'll also be returning later in the series for another guest role as well. And then finally we have Zaf Peru who plays Jamal Brown. And he has several credits in uh, sci-fi television. We have Stargate SG-1, the X-Men Evolution Series, Battlestar Galactica, and uh, the Fringe television show as well. So that's uh, our guest stars for this episode. Now, the title, Home Fires, also is a reference to a World War I-era song titled Keep the Home Fires Burning Till the Boys Come Home. It's a British patriotic song composed in 1914 by Ivor Novello, uh, with words by Lena Gilbert Ford. So there's your history lesson to go along mm-hmm. with the title, Home Fires.
0: And I bet you like that, because you're a big uh, World War One. buff. Being
1: a World War One history buff, yes. Uh, I, I I had to throw that one mm-hmm. in there, even if, it, even if I was the only person interested in that little tidbit. But that's what I got for trivia.
0: Okay. Well, that's a nice setup. Now for us to really get into the discussion, I guess we need to know really what happened in this episode. Uh, so, Ethan... Would you mind giving us a rundown of home
1: fires? What happened? Well, we find the Andromeda presiding over a military exercise to test the readiness of the Castalian fleet. I hope they are better at swimming from a fight than they are actually fighting one, because the results of this exercise are less than stellar. After a few sushi jokes and references to comic book characters that we can only hope will be forgotten in 3,000 years, a lone vessel makes its way to the Andromeda and signals the crew. On board the small Commonwealth ship is Lieutenant Jamal Brown, who has been searching for the Andromeda, and in particular, Captain Hunt. He has a very old message to deliver from Dylan's ex, Sarah Riley. In his quarters, Dylan reviews the nearly 300-year-old message. Sarah, it seems, came through the fall okay. Better than okay, even. She started a family among a group of survivors and descendants of the old Commonwealth. Dylan is a little bit shell-shocked by this, and later even a bit suspicious but Lieutenant Brown persuades the Andromeda to follow him to his planet, Terra a world in a remote corner of the Triangulum Galaxy. He explains that Sarah gathered the crew that escaped from the Andromeda, the crew of the Starry Wisdom, as well as their families, and started a colony in a distant part of the known worlds in order to preserve Commonwealth civilization. The planet has the same system of government as the old Commonwealth, with a triumvirate, high-guard fleet, and a civilized Commonwealth society nearly the same as what existed in the time of the fall. Sarah did all of this in order to prepare for Dylan's return and the renewal of the system's Commonwealth. If all of this sounds a bit too good to be true, you wouldn't be alone. After their experiences with the Pax Magellanic and the Balance of Judgment, the crew is a bit skittish when it comes to dealing with Commonwealth holdovers. But after getting a warm welcome to the system with full military honors and getting a tour of the planet's administrative facilities everyone begins to relax just a bit. Dylan is escorted to a meeting room where he is introduced to dozens of descendants from the original Andromeda crew, and even more overwhelming for Dylan, descendants of Sarah Riley as well. Dylan is really starting to dig it here. That is, until he is introduced to Admiral of the Fleet, Telemachus Rade. And it isn't that this guy just has Geharis' last name. It's the fact that the man looks exactly like Dylan's treacherous first officer from the time of the fall. Later, as Tyr again explains the phenomenon of genetic reincarnation in Nietzschean lines, Dylan expresses his disbelief that a Rade would show up right here, right now, and it not somehow be a ploy working against them. While Dylan is coming to terms with Telemachus' presence, the world of TerraZid is holding a referendum on whether or not to join the new system's commonwealth. It seems the outcome is assured that they will join. It is, after all, what they were designed to do. But Telemachus has been campaigning against joining in order to protect their society and ensure its continuation as is. And his campaign has paid off. Rami delivers the news to Dylan that the referendum to join has failed. The one planet best suited to join the Commonwealth has declined to join. Dylan, feeling betrayed yet again by Arade, is ready to leave the system. However, Raquel Benzion, the Teresid Triumvir, insists that Andromeda stay. She can force another referendum and get the result changed. Dylan is ready to go, though. That is, until a MAGOG raiding party enters the system and puts everyone, including Andromeda, on alert and ready to engage. But there is something funny about these MAGOG. Once approached, they disengage. Not very MAGOG-like at all. That doesn't stop one hot-headed lieutenant from disobeying Dylan's orders and go storming off after one of the MAGOG raiders. Lieutenant Brown, eager to prove himself, gets the kill but also proves his ineptitude at flying as well, and gets himself killed when his fighter hits the destroyed ship's debris field. Dylan orders an analysis of the debris, and sure enough, it just doesn't add up. The makeup of the dummy Magog ship indicates that it was built and launched right in the Terra system. What's more, the Triumvir cannot reach the planet's surface. Andromeda confirms that there is what seems to be a communications freeze, Benzion now reveals that her intel indicates secret transmissions from the Admiral's office, including one right before the faked Magog attack. All of this points to a military coup staged by Admiral Telemachus Rade. Dylan isn't willing to be betrayed or beaten by another Rade, and arrangements are made for Telemachus and Dylan to meet alone on the command deck. Telemachus believes Dylan is responsible for the deception. Dylan is pretty sure that this reincarnated Rade inherited some of his forebearers' treacherous genes. The two square off and don't waste any time getting the shooting started. Dylan can't help but reflect, as their battle rages, how familiar all of this seems to be. But this fight ends a little differently this time. Instead of shooting Rade in the chest, or torso, depending on which scene of the pilot is used, both combatants end up in a 51st century version of a Mexican standoff. Neither is willing to shoot the other one, because they both realize there is a bigger fish to fry. Andromeda has uncovered the truth about Triumvir Benzion. The transmissions, the records, all of them were falsified, making it look like Telemachus was at fault. Dylan realizes that if he wanted to, he could go along with Benzion's plan and frame Telemachus, have him arrested, and get everything that he wanted as far as Teresid was concerned an idea that Telemachus admits that he would take if he were in Dylan's position. But now isn't the time for fudging on principle, and both head off to place the Triumvir under arrest. With the honor guard dispatched, the two arrest Raquel Benzion, and a stable government is maintained. A military funeral is held for Jamal, attended by Dylan, Rev, and Trance. Dylan wonders if he's made the right choice. He wonders if one act of betrayal is not a price worth paying in order to save the universe. In considering this, though, he finally begins to understand the actions of Geharis Rade. The end.
0: So, you said that Rade and Dylan both realize that there are bigger fish to fry? Mm-hmm. I thought the Castalians weren't any more in this episode.
1: I so desperately wanted to make a Castalian joke, but... I figured I'd I'd just run on through this. Okay, all right. I'll take that low hanging fruit. <laughs> go for it. Mm-hmm. Well, you just did. Yeah. So. Yeah. We we've had a lot of Castalian fish jokes, so yeah. I, I figured I'd, I'd just let that breathe for a while. You know, let that let that go. Okay, I'll, I'll let that one go.
0: Well, I figured it was probably just because uh, maybe we haven't really dealt with the castellians since all great neptune's oceans yeah, w- yeah what was that in the first the, part of it was like the 10th episode one. yeah so maybe they overdid the fish jokes to make
1: sure we remembered oh right they're the fish people yeah that's right mm-hmm. uh jam them all in one you know what? okay observation mm-hmm. here's an observation okay. that i had um they can't fight no they are worthless in a fight mm-hmm. and yet did they not have a standoff with the Andromeda? Didn't they bring their ships out and surround Andromeda? What were they honestly thinking they were going to do if they were that inept at battle?
0: <laughs> you know what? I r- I really don't remember. There there was a situation there. I, I don't remember if yeah there there was some
1: aggression. Yeah, they flew their fleet out. Okay, surrounded the Andromeda. They tried to board it, but right, they, but right. were easily <laughs> right kicked back off by a overloaded uh, force lance blowing up. Oh, okay. Which led to that whole... We, we've already done that episode. Okay. But I was just going to say, you know, th- their fleet has existed for a time. Mm-hmm. They at least thought they could protect themselves.
0: Well, maybe they're used to being the, the big fish in the little pond. And now...
1: You just can't help yourself, can you?
0: <laughs> you know what? Since we're on the Castellians, I can't believe we're talking about them this much. So what,
1: we've already spent way more time than I thought we would, but let's <laughs> I, go.
0: I want to know... What's it like inside their ships? Is it is it water inside their ships? They're just swimming around, <laughs> you know. Are they filled with water or are they are they air? And they have those little air water breathe tanks like they had when they were on the
1: Andromeda. I, I think if, if if they were to tell you what their ship is like, it's probably filled with water. If we had to go on a Castalian ship in mm-hmm. the Andromeda television series. Mm-hmm. Budget would dictate that it is air, and they have water breathers on. Okay. All right, Ryan. Well, I'm going to take this low-hanging fruit. Okay. It was pretty much the joke of the show. Uh, Tyr delivers that classic line to Rami when Rami says, you know what I wish? And Keith Hamilton Cobb delivers the line of uh, an avatar unencumbered by cleavage. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we had that line. I laughed. Okay. Uh, I have to give props to Keith Hamilton Cobb mm-hmm. for delivering that line without a hint of a smile or a smirk or anything that would betray the humor that is coming out of that, that line mm-hmm. and that situation, you know. Uh, in fact, all of them were just kind of like, oh, well, <laughs> somebody's having a bad day, you know, <laughs> it was just kind of the reaction. But, uh, yeah, I, I had to bring that up. Right.
0: Well, you know, Tyr himself, you would think he would be have, have to be... Encumbered by all of that muscle, oh yeah, absolutely, somewhat, right, yeah, it's kind of hard to walk around with that much muscle, I know from experience, dude, <laughs> right, <laughs>
1: yeah, you and I both mm-hmm. know all about that, sure,
0: mm-hmm. hey, Ethan, uh on Telemachus, no, we're done with that joke, oh, okay, hey, Ethan, yeah, how can you play basketball at night
1: um under lights?
0: yeah, make sure that
1: your rim is lit up with blue leds oh yes. <laughs> yeah, and have a glowing basketball, too. Mm-hmm. That would be helpful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't even noticed that <laughs> until you bring it up here. But yeah, the thing had a little LEDs around it, didn't it? And
0: schoolyard chains for a net. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. You, you can't get synthetic fibers for a proper net. <laughs> You've got chains. No, you'd, you'd wear that stuff out. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll buy that. Okay. Uh, I, I think it's interesting that in times past... When they want to do forensic-level studies on debris, they've had to bring a little bit in to the ship to sample. And it's usually Harper that's doing it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. That's that's how it's worked in the past, in previous episodes that we've seen. I I find it interesting that in this episode, Andromeda can run forensic-level studies on debris just like that. Right. right? Without bringing it in, it just does an in-space analysis of it and knows exactly what it's made of and that it was made in system and that it was launched from... System, mm-hmm. really?
0: <laughs> well, Harper's the one that deduced from where it was launched.
1: So well, you're right. You're right. He did bring up the station. That yeah. It was so
0: from. while maybe Andromeda is able to do a spectral analysis, uh, there, you still have to have somebody else to to do some of the other math. Maybe maybe Andromeda is not that good at
1: math. <laughs> Reading geometry, mm-hmm. angles, mm-hmm. things like that. Okay. Hey, those are hard. <laughs> they they can't be. Mm-hmm. Can't be.
0: Hey, so um, another episode with Harper where there's no sign of him being infested with M- Magog larvae.
1: Not true. Not true. Okay. He does mention the fact that he, you know, when the magog show up in the raiding party, he mentions, oh, I'm not ready to do another round with the... And he kind of he kind it's, of points at his gut.
0: Okay, was was that what he was talking about? Yeah,
1: well, okay. that's how I took
0: it. Well, may have been. Okay. Okay. So maybe I missed something. I was just thinking he didn't want to be taken by the Magog again. Okay. Um. But I mean, either way, I guess that would kind of fall into it. Yeah. Um. Either way, that's really not the point that I that I was <laughs> okay. trying to segue Sorry, to. I didn't mean to derail. No, that, you. that's okay. That's okay. But. What I thought was interesting was that he no longer has the uh, medication around his neck. Well,
1: I think the overdose kind of took care of that.
0: maybe he learned a lesson there?
1: (laughs) Maybe so. Was there character growth in Harper? (laughs) Did he learn something from his OD? I think, I don't know, but I think we can maybe at this point for Mm -hmm. this episode say, yes, there was some growth with Harper. Okay. He put it in a a locker or in his room.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Okay. I would hope maybe Rev or Trance would just kind of just hold on to it for him <laughs> and then just come to him
1: twice a day. Harper, time to take There's your a medicine. There's little, a little ringing from down the hall. Harper, mm-hmm. <laughs> the alarm went off. It's time for your medicine. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to call this an observation. Really, though, maybe it is something that we have learned. Okay. It is difficult to engage in a fight while experiencing flashbacks. It would be for me anyway. I would think that would be
0: tough. Um, yeah. uh, many of I've actually seen studies on this. Um, people think that they're multitaskers, but really, no one can truly multitask. Yeah. So you've got to either be thinking about something that happened in the past, or you've got to be fighting. Yeah. You can't really do both. I don't know, at the same man. I, I can
1: multitask. I mean, I proved that last week in the recording. I mean, I was well. Maybe that's not the best example <laughs> you know, no, but I, I, I understand where you're going there with that. Uh, yeah, he, I can't multitask mm-hmm. and and I don't people that say they do um, if you go back and really grade their work or you know I, I would imagine that you know if you're having a fight like that, if you're having flashbacks and, and I don't know if this is a study that's been done in military, maybe uh, people with post-traumatic stress disorder. When that comes on, they lock up, you know? And if, and if that's what Dylan is experiencing, some, if he's flashing back because of the trauma of what he had to deal with with Geharis. Mm-hmm. Well, he he did it, and all Telemachus was doing was offering him a drink. Right. And he totally spaced on him. <laughs> right.
0: Now, the question I have is, are all of these flashbacks, are they really Dylan's flashbacks in his head? Or are they just telegraphing this out, reminding us as the audience, this is what happened a season and a half ago?
1: Yeah. And and you, you got to say that that's part of it, is for the audience's benefit. But we all get struck by memories, that it's more of a sensation, mm-hmm. more than specific details. Mm-hmm. Now, toward the end of this, Dylan is reflecting on specific details, things that Telemachus specifically said. Mm-hmm. But I will be willing to admit that during the fight sequence, it's just he was flashing back to when he was fighting Rade, uh, Mm-hmm. Those can be just specific sensations or flashes of memory. Mm-hmm. It, it wouldn't really take up a few compute cycles, <laughs> right? you know, to, to bring it down to AI terminology there. Um, so, you know, okay, maybe he could... It just, the way it was presented on screen was a little distracting. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there thinking, show us how this fight's going to end up. I know what happened a season ago. Mm-hmm. You know, on our, our sister podcast,
0: the one that you do, Age of Geek, uh, you guys do a thing, and I've been involved in it before, you call Snap Judgment. Um, I remember one time you and your son, Eli, you did a Snap Judgment on Jurassic World. Yes, we did. Uh, do you remember what... Eli said a little game that he likes to play is...
1: Guess who's going to die? Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Uh,
0: I thought it was kind of easy with this particular episode to play that game. Okay. Because uh, when I saw Lieutenant Brown going out in his slip fighter, I said...
1: He's going to die. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I I, I didn't think about it. Um, Just the other night on Netflix, there is a show called uh, Wing Commander uh, show. It's a movie. It was just on the other night. Well, I watched it the other night on oh, Netflix, okay. on the streaming. So it's probably still on there? It probably is, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, it starred like Freddie Prinze Jr. and a bunch of other people that I recognize but don't remember the names. Um, but anyway, it's, it's, it's a space jockey, space jock, fighter, space fighters, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And this scenario that we see in this episode is exactly the same scenario that plays out in that movie. So, as I'm watching this episode the other night, I'm like, I just watched this in 1999's Wing Commander. And now that I'm thinking about it, that was right before this episode would have been made. And, I mean, it literally is the exact same thing. Goes chasing after a fighter that he should not be chasing after. Mm -hmm. Gets called off by the commander. Mm Mm-hmm. He shoots it anyway, celebrates, and as celebrating, the pilot in Wing Commander and the pilot in our episode here of Andromeda both run into debris from the fighter and blow up and die. Hmm. So, I, well, okay, in Wing Commander, the, the, the pilot limps back to the ship, then crashes, blows up, and dies. <laughs> but So, slight difference. You know, tomato, tomato. Right. But, you know, it, still. It burned it, down, fell over, then sank <laughs> into the swamp. Okay. <laughs> so, I, I just thought it was interesting, because these would have been played out about a year and a half from each other, honestly.
0: You know, I'm kind of wondering, because, of course, Tyr gets all snobby about it, you know, amateur so there's got to be some sort of flight technique to this, and and maybe people that have been involved in um, air combat know more about this. Of course, in in space, there's no gravity. True. Uh, in 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 air combat, all the plane parts are basically just going to go down.
1: Yes. Right. They're out of the way.
0: Okay. And and if, if somebody out there knows that that is wrong, then just I guess keep it to yourself. But there there's got to be some sort of uh, a technique that evidently Tyr knows about. Um, probably a lot of these the other pilots would know about. Becca would probably know about
1: this. It's called shift ninety degrees mm-hmm. and head at another angle. Is that what it is? I is that the so. trick? I think that might be it.
0: Okay, so that that was his mistake. Was that he just kept flying right into where he just shot?
1: You know, common error. Okay, and I can understand. No, I can't understand no. how you would make that error.
0: The only thing I could try to compare it to would be uh when you're when you're playing pool okay okay and you've got a straight shot from the cue ball to your your ball to I'm the with,
1: pocket i'm with you so far all
0: right you just go you hit a straight shot and then your cue ball is going to follow the ball right into the pocket exactly scratch right that's,
1: that's how it's supposed to happen right okay.
0: yeah well i guess you got to have it just enough angle so that your uh, your ball goes in the pocket but your cue ball Goes the other way.
1: Bounces off the bumper. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: okay. Um, again, I guess he's not good at geometry. There you go. So now we know Andromeda and Lieutenant Jamal Brown are not good at geometry.
1: Yeah. And, and I'm learning something from this, and we'll okay. get to that when we get to that next segment.
0: Okay. You know, I, I had one more observation written down here, but I was kind of saving it. I was expecting that you were going to bring this up, so that's why I wasn't
1: going to bring it up. Well, now I feel like a bigger idiot than I did at the beginning of this. Well, it's
0: because this is more uh, this is more your wheelhouse than than mine. Uh, the whole conversation you mentioned it in your recap, mm-hmm. but that's as far as it went. The, uh, the The mention of Aquaman and Silver Surfer. Oh yeah, because uh, I'm I'm not a comic book reader. <laughs>
1: my summary mm-hmm. that was my commentary on that okay. that was that was my observation okay
0: <laughs> uh yeah the, the interesting thing is not only is is are these things still remembered 3000 years from now but according to harper this is classical education
1: well have you heard of this little thing going on in modern pop culture called the marvel cinematic universe never heard of it okay uh it's kind of a big deal and in another, I would I would venture to say in a hundred years this will be the pantheon of a new religion probably okay it, it'll probably become that big
0: wow okay and Aquaman and Silver Surfer are not in that
1: no they're not mm-hmm. and and based on past efforts with those two characters. <laughs> There's a legitimate reason mm-hmm. why they have been why they have been relegated to the basement right. of comic book heroes. Yeah,
0: it's interesting that he uh, mentions Aquaman again. Going back to the Castellians.
1: yes, yeah. yeah that's the only reason why that worthless in a fight.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, to to any Aquaman fans out there who may be upset, keep it to yourself. I think we may have just stumbled onto a new catchphrase for the show. Keep it yeah. to yourself. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's uh, let's try to get a little bit serious. Not too serious, right? Let's get a little bit serious. No, here. we can, we can do that. Okay. Uh, so some some things that we've learned about this universe in this episode. Uh, one of them that I wanted to hit real quick. It, it, this stuck out to me because uh, this could have been just a funny observation, but I saved it for for a later discussion because this is something that we've actually talked about seriously. And we actually get an answer to the questions that we had in uh, previous episodes. Okay. Do you remember we had discussed about the fan, whether they are male, female, are all the, the, the females, the, the pilots, kind of like you would have in the hive. Maybe they're all just like the female worker bees. Right. Or are there drones and... Um, we get some clarification on this, don't you're, we?
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right, we do.
0: So, what are they?
1: Well, they are uh, hermaphroditic... Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget the other words he used.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, he said in- insectoid hermaphrodite. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So, yeah, neither male nor female. Mm-hmm. Or, well, no, Or the, both. Or both, yeah, yeah, there you go. So, they are kind of a self-contained reproductive machine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, the female voice... That they have, that's got to be just uh, a uh, what would you call it? Not a, it's not real. Well, you said the vocalizer, yeah. In the the previous discussion that yeah, we had yeah. on that a few episodes back, so, so that's just basically a, a, an aesthetic choice. Mm-hmm. So perhaps make them sound easier to to listen to or to get along mm-hmm. with, having the feminine type voice. Mm-hmm. All right, so. A couple of things that I wanted to get into, and, and maybe this is a little bit too serious. It's not 2016 yet in this country, so we can talk about it without people's blood getting up, I don't think. Um, there was a lot to be said or that was discussed and insinuated about democratic elections. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. Rev Bim gives us the uh, Schoolhouse Rock speech. mm mm-hmm. um, not in song and dance form, but you know he gives us the speech about how the
0: that the, would have been better.
1: <laughs> I, think, I think you're right. I
0: would have learned more. <laughs> I
1: would have learned more too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, if you don't get that reference, uh, just uh, look up Schoolhouse Rock on uh, YouTube, and there's a there's a trip back to our, our childhood. Um, but anyway, so democratic elections. Uh, it starts off Rev explaining how it's working on Tarasette, but then it sounds a lot more like what we're used to seeing in the the modern world that we live in today. And Harper's take on it was pretty much like what I feel a lot of people feel Mm -hmm. (laughs) toward the democratic process. (laughs) right? Uh, A little jaded. You recognize a lot of the mm, inequalities and injustice of some Mm -hmm. of it. Harper, his his attitude is jaded toward –
0: everything. True. In life. Yeah. So, he, he's kind of, he's very cynical. Uh, he, he's had a rough upbringing. So, he kind of sees the bad side of everything.
1: Yeah. Well, so far, I mean, Harper really is the everyman in this in this show, isn't he? In this series. Yeah, probably. He's the guy that you could most identify with. I mean, if you're going to identify with any of these characters 3,000 years in the future, I guess he's the one. Uh, I don't surf. Mm-hmm. But I like I like some activities, right? And uh, you know he does that. Um, you know he has a, a lot of the same attitudes that I kind of identify with, even if I don't have them specifically myself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's the everyman. So when he starts voicing his distrust or distaste of some of the aspects of the process, yeah, I mean I I feel like that's that's a lot of people in virtually any democratic country that's, that's watching that they're, they're probably identifying with him more than Rev or Trance or any of the other characters.
0: You know, I thought it's interesting last week we had uh, had a discussion about the Nietzschean Messiah waiting for the, the genetic reincarnation of Drago Museveni. And that's really the feel that you get is it's kind of a religious thing. They're waiting for the return of Museveni. Um, this week we kind of have the Commonwealth Messiah. And yeah, we do. It, it's it's really sort of a uh, kind of a, a religious feel for all these these uh, Commonwealth leftovers here
1: on Terrazed.
0: Don't you kind of think it's like they're they're in anticipation, they're waiting?
1: Yeah. Because Sarah Riley obviously has drawn all of these desperate desperate groups together. And has organized the society. So yeah, you could definitely draw some uh, religious connotations in in this. I have a question though, not to get too sidetracked. Mm-hmm. And if we need to bring bring it back, you know, let me know. There's there's a lot of Nietzscheans on this planet. You know, the, you have Telemachus. You have uh, within the uh, Triumvir's or trium Triumvir's, uh, entourage. There's several in her in her entourage. How did that? How'd that go down? Because obviously the Nietzscheans were responsible for the rebellion and the fall. Yeah. I I guess there were some loyal Nietzscheans that came along with this group. Oh, yeah. But surely that didn't just, oh, well, they're okay. We vetted them. (laughs) Surely there was probably some resentment that had to be sorted out in this culture. Well, yeah. I mean, they had 300 years to work that out, though. Okay. Um well, you know, it's it's been, what, 170 years since this country's civil war? Yeah. That hasn't quite worked out just yet. You don't think so? So I'm thinking 300 years might still not be enough time. Oh, okay. But, but uh, uh, that's just me.
0: All right. Um, I mean, because Rade, Geharis Rade. Geharis, yeah, okay. Uh, he did make mention to Dylan that there are groups of Nietzscheans that are opposed to this rebellion. You're right. So, yeah, I mean, there would be those ones left over. And one way or another, I guess they would figure out who they were. Uh, probably the ones that stuck by their side yeah. and, and didn't start killing other Commonwealth members. The ones that fought alongside them, they said, okay, we can trust you because yeah. you're fighting alongside of us. If if you were one of them, then you would be killing all of us. Right. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe, maybe, that's, it wasn't such maybe a big that's how deal. it happened.
1: It, it just when I saw it, I'm just like, well – these are all people that are there and having to cobble together this new society or old society and preserve this old society because of what the Nietzscheans did. So mm-hmm. my first reaction was, "Whoa, what are these guys doing there, and why are they in a position of trust?" <laughs> mm-hmm. But you're right. You're right. The, they are the descendants, and the the trust has been established. Right. Yeah.
0: And maybe they were some of the less desirable Nietzscheans. Maybe they didn't get invited to the party. <laughs> When the, when the Nietzschean uprising happened, they're like, wait, what? Who? <laughs> How come I didn't know about?
1: All right, well, I'm fighting with the humans then. Three, 300 years of breeding has done well for me. Mm-hmm. But you ought to see pictures of my great-great-great-grandfather. <laughs> he had a little bit of a pot belly <laughs> and a receding hairline. <laughs> <laughs> Not genetically perfect. Uh, something else that this uh, episode, I think, teaches us a little bit about, and that's the, uh, the downfall or the folly, perhaps, of isolationism. This is an isolationist society. Mm-hmm. They want to stick their head in the, the sand. The Magog are coming. They feel like if, they, if we isolate ourselves, we will be protected for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them. Some of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. At, least, at least a little over half of them. Okay.
0: Well, I mean, the vote was split.
1: Oh, oh! I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just thought it was interesting. Or maybe
0: it was only one-third. Maybe you have to have a two-thirds majority vote. Maybe. I don't, I don't know exactly. I don't – I didn't remember that
1: part of the song. Let's not <laughs> – yeah. Let's not even get into popular vote versus electoral. Okay. Well, you know, the, okay. okay. But anyway, uh, isolationist societies, uh, the point being what I took away from this, and I don't know that I really have an argument against it, but this just really kind of, to me, pointed out the folly of an isolationist society. Because it basically does. It puts its head in the sand, and it ignores the issues that are going on around it, or that are, you know, freight training right toward it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just thought that was interesting. That it, it seemed like the episode was kind of steering us toward, this is what happens. You, you could be that way for a time, but you're going to have to come out of it at some point and join the rest of us in reality. hmm It's too bad because that's kind of how I like to live life. (laughs) I think on an individual basis, Mm -hmm. it it can be not so bad. Oh, okay. That's great. Okay. That's good
0: news. When I hear a knocking in the engine of my car, uh, it'll go away. Yeah. It'll be fine. Don't make a big deal about it. (laughs) It'll
1: take care of itself.
0: But you're right. Sometimes that does not work out.
1: Yeah. And one last thing I've got about what do we learn. Uh, Dylan. I I think we do see character growth in Dylan. Dylan. Because in all of his flashbacks and his thinking back on what uh, Geharis was trying to tell him, trying to warn him about, Dylan, up to this point in episodes where this has been given some treatment, uh, it's Dylan still has resentment. He, he still has that, that abject sense of betrayal. And in this one, at the end of it, it, you really feel like Dylan has kind of turned the corner a little bit. And he's, he's able to now not see Geharis as such a villain, Mm -hmm. you know, at least that's, that's the impression that I got. Right. Is that how you came away with this one?
0: Well, his description of the events, that's what lead others to believe that same thing. Because when Telemachus asks him flat out, what happened? You're the only one that knows. Yeah. He tells him the first part of the story. And then Telemachus is like, great. Great. That's great news. That is fantastic. He's a I'm hero. I'm so glad he was not a bad guy. Yeah. And then Dylan, he could have said, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Here's what he did next. Yeah. But he just he just left it. And it could have been out of respect for Telemachus and his family and his line. Maybe he didn't want to ruin it for him. Maybe he was trying to believe it a little himself. Because he says that from the beginning, that he tried to warn me. I didn't listen until it was too late. It's not until later in the episode when we see just we get hit over the head with all these flashbacks of these cryptic messages that that Harris is giving him and and he him not getting it. Yeah. But he's looking back on it and realizing that's what he was doing. And then toward the end, then he's kind of. Yeah, I I kind of understand... Why he did what he right. did. Yeah. Right, right. And, 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 okay, side note, sidebar, why all the cryptic messages? Why not just say, hey, dude, this is what's about to
1: happen? Well, because Geharis had made the decision that Dylan could not make, that Dylan would not allow himself to make. So Geharis had to protect himself, but he had respect for Dylan. So he was tipping... He was tipping his hat, not well enough. Not well enough. Mm-hmm. No, but for a Nietzschean, he was probably putting himself out there. I would think. Yeah, he I was. Guess so. He was. He was knocking pegs out from under his, you know, underpinning. Mm-hmm. In order to give Dylan a chance. Mm-hmm. So I got to. I got to think for a Nietzschean. That's a you're working against yourself. That's not a very Nietzschean thing to do. Yeah, you're right. You're
0: right. It's not. But, I don't know. It's just funny to me is all. He says that he tried to warn him. Geharis obviously felt like he was trying to warn him. But he wasn't warning him. Why didn't he just go ahead and and, and spell it out for him? Yeah. You know.
1: Well, it wouldn't be a very good story if if he had. I know. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I guess if you know someone's not getting the message and then when it comes down to it, be like, I tried to warn you and you're like
1: when 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 did you try to warn me (laughs) well hold on think about it this way okay when was the time you think back to the days when you were dating and you were trying to indicate to a girl that you were interested Mm -hmm. that you thought very well of her very highly of her Mm -hmm. do you really feel like that message got across at times oh I sent a note and it said check yes or no (laughs) that's what Gehara should have done Uh, absolutely I think you you just hit the nail on the head Mm -hmm. okay
0: yeah Right. Do you get the hint? Check yes or no. <laughs> and they could have been like, uh, no, I don't understand. The Nietzscheans are going to attack. <laughs> the Commonwealth is going down. Yeah, you know, uh, and then if Dylan's like, oh, I, don't I don't understand. Okay. N- now you're done. It's, yeah. <laughs> he he can wash his hands and he can turn on him and, you know. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, this would have been a much of a different story had it gone that way.
0: Right. And we probably wouldn't have had as much respect for Dylan. That's,
1: that is true. <laughs>
0: yeah. Now, I, I kind of had to go back and watch this a couple of times. The sequence immediately following the fight between Rade and Hunt. That moment of realization that they are really on the same side and they have a common enemy. And then confronting Raquel and then bringing up all of the evidence against her. And then there are options of which way to go with this. Um, I had to watch it a couple of times because it moved kind of fast. Yeah. And it was a little confusing to me. Yes. It was kind of like geometry. It was kind of like Rade's Hints. I wasn't quite getting it. Yeah. Okay. The question that I have, and I, that I still come away from this with, is why would they... On the Andromeda, why would they need to use the Andromeda's computers to to fake all of the documentation to pin it on on anyone really? When when Raquel had already done all the work. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Well, I, I was going to say, I, are are you saying that you think they had to be on the ship to use Andromeda's computers to make all of that fake data? No. No, I'm saying – because cause Dylan says,
0: OK, this is all – this is good proof. Mm-hmm. You know, with the Andromeda's computers, we could fake all of this stuff and make it look like you did it or make it look like whoever we, we – could, we could make it look like anything we want. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Why do they need to, to – why do they even need to discuss faking anything – when Raquel has already set up the whole thing.
1: Yeah, it's all right there laid out for him. Right. Yeah.
0: Now, it's true that the way Raquel has it all laid out, it's all pinned on Telemachus. Yes. Okay. But then, how was it that Dylan was planning on faking all of the, the documentation? And it, because either way, right, Telemachus goes to jail.
1: Yeah. Am, am I missing something? um no no i i I think it's yeah it's a legitimate question why does he have to change something that's already doing for him what he's talking about having the andromeda computer do for him right is that yeah i said that right didn't i i I think so i i I think just talking about it makes the situation more confusing
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i think so and uh, because I did kind of feel dumb when I'm watching this. I'm like, I'm not going to be prepared for this discussion because I don't really exactly understand how this thing ended. Yeah.
1: And, and quite honestly, in in it, you know, this was an episode written by Ethley and hmm And so, look, thinking back to our conversation with her, mm-hmm. and one of the things that she talked about, I can't remember if she talked about it on air or if it was in our discussion afterward, but she went into a lot of detail about how they were trying to do things with the show. There were things that were written. There were stories that were in episodes, Mm -hmm. but because of pacing and budget and editing, those things just never made it in Mm -hmm. and, and whole sections of real and, and needed exposition didn't make it in. And I honestly, I think you, you, touched on it when you said it happened very quickly Mm -hmm. and you're right it did almost too fast for me to follow too right because i I think i'm a little i'm still a little bit confused where i think you've got a little bit better grasp of it even than i do in my head right now as we're talking about it that whole section for me felt like one of those instances that ethley was talking about Mm -hmm. where editing happened and it cut too much out right and and so what we have on screen is isn't the whole story Mm -hmm. and and we should have gotten a couple of more scenes in there Mm -hmm. of the evidence being found and discussed amongst the crew maybe, or a little more discussion between Telemachus and Dylan maybe in that discussion. And so I I feel like, yeah, we didn't get everything that was written, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. And so now we're kind of left, uh, we see where it's trying to get us to go We would have liked to have seen a few more scenes that may have been there, but just got cut out for time or or editing, whatever the case Mm -hmm. may be.
0: And I think some of those discussions that you were just talking about, uh, some of those conversations that should have happened or that could have happened. And I think about that sequence where they've got their forest lances pointed at each other. Mm -hmm. They both realize they're on the same side. We know who the real enemy is. How? What do they cut to? Yeah, that's that's for one thing. How do they Whoa whoa
1: when did we hit that realization? Yeah. You know?
0: And then okay, so they figure out what uh what Raquel has done mm-hmm. and then we cut from there to a fight scene. Yeah.
1: Knocking out the, the
0: honor guard. I mean there there's there's no and, and what's Raquel doing the whole time? She's just standing there watching yeah, she's kind of a, a look of disbelief, sort of, yeah.
1: or or just fear, or damsel in distress. Yeah, yeah.
0: And and but, but we don't know how did how did that confrontation happen? How did that get started? Yeah, you know, did they come in there and did they present this evidence to her? And and so she calls her attack dogs, right? No,
1: we he, don't see any of that. You're right, and, and that's what I'm saying. Is is there are probably some key scenes that are laying on the cutting room floor that where we get all of this explanation. I wish we were interviewing her after this episode <laughs> because we would be able to ask. You know, and we probably should. Ethley, if you're listening, e- email us in. Home home fires. What happened in the editing room? And I'll send you an email later asking.
0: And then if we get an answer, we'll... Oh, it'll we'll be, our, be on the season we'll wrap show. Listen. Okay, yeah, yeah, we'll let our listeners know. Absolutely. Yeah, it, yeah. Just, to, just to boil it all down then... It was confusing, and it feels like there was something missing. We didn't
1: get enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't get enough. Right. Oh, I, I did oh. I did want to come back to something that I learned specifically in this conversation and from watching this this particular episode. Okay. Geometry is bad. Yeah. It, you know, it, if you don't know geometry, don't go to space. Right. Because you'll probably die mm-hmm. in a horrible accident. Probably. So I, I learned that from this episode. Oh, and one other thing, besides the geometry that I learned about. Mm -hmm. We got a nice tidy bow on the whole Sarah Riley thing. Right. I don't think she shows up in the series anymore. I mean, that was done. She died 300 years ago. She died happy. Mm -hmm. She had children. Right. Uh, Dylan can rest comfortably now.
0: Right. That was kind of funny, though, when Dylan says uh, he's okay because he knows she's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of felt like... Both me and Rami were just kind of staring at him like, really? Really? And then he comes to it. He's like, well, she was. Oh, you know what I mean? She's dust now. But Okay. Yeah. All right, Ethan. So now we've got a quote. Okay. The quote is...
1: And when translated from Than...
0: With their minuscule families, humans are often forced to rely on a state or a nation for support. Pity them. Now, that is from the Call Anthropology text. Uh, we don't have an exact year, but it's approximately Commonwealth year 7956.
1: Okay, so this is before the fall, then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
0: well before the
1: fall. Well before the fall. Like uh, a couple, yeah. of thousand, a couple years. Of thousand years. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. So, it, it, can I? Yes, please. Okay, all right. So, uh, yeah, th- this is obviously some um, what would you call it? Uh, xeno xenophobic xenophobia. Okay. Yeah, there's a little bit of xenophobia being uh, the coming out here in this this than uh, disdain for the human family. You know, the, the family unit mm-hmm. and how they rely on the family unit for for support and community and stuff like that. Okay, and, and that is that is how a hive mind would look at humans and, and mammals and how they they function as family units The problem is this is really the, the strength of, of human families you know when when society breaks down, when civilization breaks down, it, it comes down to the family units and, it, and it's really the strength of the families working together as communities that allow people to survive. And obviously, humans have done well. You know, they've survived the fall, and despite their home world being overrun by Nietzscheans and Magog, they're everywhere in the galaxy, apparently. (laughs) So they they did all right for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, the family unit came through for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I only hope that, you know, if society and civilization comes to an end, you know, my family will be there for to help prop me up, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, also. if it's the zombie apocalypse, they're on their own. <laughs> I'm running out front. Right.
0: <laughs> I think it's also the, a little bit short-sighted, though, of the fan, because what is it that they're defining as a family? Is it just the basic uh, structure of the family unit? The the husband, the wife, the children, or, or what have
1: you? Um, or is Well, it, that would be very limited if that's all they're looking at.
0: Yeah, or is it the way uh, most humans think uh what is family is family just those that you are immediately related to or maybe even distantly related to or is it those that you make your family
1: yeah i i, I was i was indicating that with yeah. saying communities
0: exactly yeah. and yeah and i was going to i was going to go on that because okay. because because i'm right there with you um cuz we have we have witnessed firsthand uh, a few years ago, four years ago, right here in this town in which we live, there was a major, major tornado um, just completely wrecked a third of our town, uh, set records. Broke, it, broke records. Yeah, broke. And a lot of buildings. Right. And b- what what did we see? We saw the the family, the community of this town rallied and came together. Yeah. And even though we're still working on it, this town is well on its way to being put back together. Yes, and it's not isolated just to this town that we live in.
1: No, you it, see it across everywhere, this country,
0: everywhere. Yeah, exactly. The world. That's what I was going to say. Is it you know because people attribute that to several different things? What is it because uh, the, the the people in this town just have such good traits? Is it because the majority of the people in this town are Christian? Is it because the because the people in this town are American. But you look at all the disasters all around the world, and what we see is that it's none of those qualities. It's the fact that we are human. Yeah. We we just have that in us. To, Compassion.
1: Right. They to help inherit. our fellow
0: human. Yeah. So even if a, a state or a nation crumbles, you know, there's still that strength of the family. Yeah. Whether you are speaking of just fleshly relation of family or on a broader scope of yeah. community,
1: and, and that's not to say we're not going to sit here now and start singing kumbaya. No, 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 no. But you are right. That is the positive aspect of human nature. That's not to say that we're, we're looking at it and glossing over the fact that there are other aspects and other communities out there that would take advantage of situations like that. But Unfortunately,
0: also something that we saw firsthand right here.
1: Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So you can't deny that there is that underbelly mm-hmm. and that that nature is there as well. But overall, you really can look at it as a positive. It, it, it is a positive human trait to when you see a neighbor in distress he isn't a stranger. Uh, he isn't just a neighbor. He becomes a friend, and in some cases, he, he becomes a brother. You know, and and that causes you to to want to reach out and to help them to the extent possible. Right. The, you know, to 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 the great to the greatest degree possible for your circumstances. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely, it's a great thing to see. It, it's unfortunate that the, that the fan view it as a eh, you know a negative trait.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess the good news then, though, is that the fan are not real.
1: Oh, yeah. This is a TV show, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Okay. Yeah. So, really, who cares what they think? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Robert Hewitt Wolf, <laughs> in the figment of your imagination.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, really then, I mean, if the family and the Hive, there's not really all that much difference, is
1: there? Mm, there, there. I guess there would be some hierarchical differences. Structural differences okay. between the two. Uh, I I don't know. I honestly I can't see the Than as a group that would express love readily. And you know, if if you get a family of of human beings together. Um, yeah, there's probably going to be just some dysfunction to an extent there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's <laughs> predominantly amongst families, the, the dominant quality w- would be love mm-hmm. that's expressed between them. And I just don't see a than hive mind or, or hive mentality having that same warmth and feeling. You know what I'm saying? Right. Does that make sense?
0: Well, I guess the question is, I guess we need to know exactly how do the than reproduce? We know that they're hermaphroditic. But we need a study on this <laughs> <laughs> right, but but that doesn't necessarily mean that they re- re- that my very first thought of that what meant that that means that they must reproduce asexually, yeah, we don't necessarily know that that's, yeah, that's not necessarily the case, yeah, um we know that families are so strong um because they they're so all that time shared together in bringing up the family and and so there's just that natural bond. Yeah. that forms. Um well, I mean, you and I we both have children. Yes. And you remember yes. when your son was born? I remember when my daughters were born, it it's just instantly that that connection, oh, that, yeah. that bond of love that just that forms. Yeah. I I don't know. I guess how does that happen for the, for the fan? Do do they you could, what you were just saying about the, about, do they feel that same
1: sense of love for each other? Yeah. W- there was one thing that was indicated in this particular episode, uh, that, uh, what's her name? Refra- Refractions of Dawn. Yeah. Had thousands of children. Right. Uh, somehow at some point, when does it become quantity over quality? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what, where I'm getting at with yeah, this? Yeah. Y- y- how do you keep track of them? Yeah. Y- how do you have that connection once y- you're popping them out hundreds at a time? Or dozens at a time, or how, however that happens. I imagine they're probably egg sacs. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I don't know. A- as a mammal, mm-hmm. I have a hard time connecting with an insectoid mentality of multiple f- hundreds of children issuing from your. However they come about, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> however they come into being, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's hard to imagine that being a, a loving environment, but it, it must, it must be. But,
0: but the fan, I think that they're not speaking to the love. I think they're more speaking to the function mm. of, of, uh, creating a society. Okay. You know, not necessarily family bonds and, and 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 maybe they are seeing those things as uh really being uh, a detriment.
1: Yeah, and and now that you're now that you're saying that there's there's probably a legitimate argument for the fact that close-knit communities are exclusive to other communities. You know. So mm-hmm. so so there here we've talked uh, ab- we've like, talked about isolationist right. societies. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. Maybe there is a precedent for the fans thinking on this. I I hadn't thought of it that way. Okay, but uh, hearing you work through that, yeah, that 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 particular idea just dawned in my head, and so yeah, I, I okay, I, you know. Well, see, I didn't
0: think we were going to talk about this quote for nearly this long. But
1: it's a lot more interesting than I thought it was going to be. And I
0: think that talking through it, yeah, you're right. I think we I think we figured out. How this fits into this episode. And I was not able to do that. We're
1: going to get even more meta here. Okay. We have now, in discussing this coming full circle, Mm -hmm. and now having seen both sides of where the argument is, we are now in the same position Dylan was at at the end of this episode in seeing both sides of how Garrus acted. Hmm. My mind is blown. Wow. Boom. Stick a fork in it. I'm done. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, then...
0: Let's finish up. Uh, Ethan, home fries. What did you think of this episode?
1: (laughs) Home fry. I love me some home fries. Uh And I got to admit, I enjoyed home fires as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought this was a pretty good episode. I like it for the fact that we got right at the beginning. We didn't have to wait for it. Right at the beginning, we got the wrap up with the whole Sarah Riley arc. So now Dylan has that. And, and, you know, he's going to have to... He's going to spend some quiet, some time in quiet contemplation in his quarters, I'm sure, for, for a time while he absorbs that particular information. But we got the conclusion to that, which I thought was great. We got to see the Commonwealth in action. You know, it didn't all just disappear over the course of that 300 years. Some of it did survive in this small corner of the Triangulum Galaxy. And so I thought that was pretty cool. Unfortunately, they have to deal with the same junk <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> that most civilizations have to deal with corruption and backstabbing and betrayal and you know, all of that, all of that stuff. But it wouldn't be good television if we didn't have that as well. Um, have some issues with some of the production value. Okay, <laughs> We were talking, uh, not necessarily on, on this episode, but we were talking a little bit earlier about the uh, uh, some of the CG work. Right. The exterior shot. <laughs> yes. Uh. Uh, you know, it Okay. Yeah, it's a thing, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, there's budget issues. Okay, yeah. So we we mentioned it, we touched on it, let's move on. Okay. Uh, so yeah, we have some of those things that detract perhaps a little bit. But all in all, I thought this was a pretty good story. Uh, and, and really, I, I feel like this Telemachus character is uh, somehow going to be important going forward in this story. Really? Yeah. Hmm, I yeah. don't see it.
0: I don't see how they can have any more use for this guy. They've already got a Nietzschean. Why do they True. need to have another Nietzschean? Okay.
1: All right. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. But anyway, it, final word on home fires or home fries. <laughs> I like them both.
0: Yeah. Um, home fries, I like with salt and a little ketchup. A lot of ketchup. Sure thing. I love ketchup. Yeah. Uh, but I liked home fires as well. Um, I thought it was fun to see but not see the Castellians. We haven't seen them in a long time. <laughs> yeah. They're out there, yeah. And uh, I really thought that some of them were getting blown up until it turned out. Oh, this is all just a uh, a battle simulation uh, training. You
1: know, I wrote it down and then I marked it out. Okay, but I'm going to bring it up anyway since you just brought it up. Okay. Oh, okay, if that's a simulation, mm-hmm. what got blown up, mm-hmm. <laughs> and why did they fire missiles? <laughs> right, I was thinking the same thing. I
0: was wondering, is is this just some sort of a, a CG that Andromeda is creating?
1: VR, to, yeah, to it,
0: yeah, to make it to make it a little more real. But but that's an exterior shot of the Andromeda. It is.
1: It is. No, they have to sell us on it. Uh, I don't know if that was necessarily the best thing they could do, mm-hmm. or that they had to do, right? Or n- just do what they do best. Stay inside the ship. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I going to come to that point. Yeah.
0: They just hear, all he has to say is, missiles away. We hear a noise. Yeah. <laughs> Bloop, bleep. Yeah. You know, buttons were pressed. Right. Things blew up. I mean, I can make simulated missile noises. There you go. Yeah. Yes, you can. I, I did it last week. Yeah, there you go. No, that was real. <laughs> People died in that episode. Benito died. Yeah. And okay. so did John Smith. So, yeah. but anyway... <laughs> We've gotten way up. We we have. We've gone way downstream on this one. Did you like it? Uh, Oh, right. That's the question, (laughs) wasn't it? Uh, (laughs) I did answer that. Yes, I did. I did like the episode. Uh, Here's one of the things that I thought was interesting about it is that we have, um, again, remnants of the Commonwealth, and it seems like it's it's put together a whole lot better than anything that we've seen before. Yeah. Um, They're not a bunch of kids that just got it all wrong. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and they're not ships that, are that taken over by androids and
1: AIs, and you know this is these are actual real people. What? Man, I feel so stupid for missing the kids <laughs> in my summary. You know, I honed in on Pax Magellanic and and the Balance of Judgment. Right.
0: Yeah, that's all right. They
1: were easy to forget.
0: But but anyway, you have you have someone here who is uh, who's remnants of the Commonwealth, people who are looking for the reestablished Commonwealth. Not all of them, but you know, because part of me was saying, okay, when when they had that that divide, and they voted against it, uh, why didn't all the ones who said, yeah, I'm for it, just go jump on the Andromeda? Now she's got a full crew, um, or or maybe more. Take some of their slip fighters with them, whatever. Um, but anyway, but now it seems like at least there is uh, a little bit, a little bit more of a foundation to start this Commonwealth. Um, they've got a lot of planets, uh, a lot of systems that are signed on to the Commonwealth Charter. Now you got all these people that have Commonwealth background that really, truly believe in the Commonwealth, and you know, even Raquel, man. She went about things totally the wrong way. But why did she do it? It was because she was kind of making the same decision that she forced Dylan to make in the end, except she made the more unethical decision because she was trying to force the Commonwealth to happen. So you got a big base of people that are that believe in this. Um, it, It was nice to see. Telemachus Rade and have all the flashbacks of Geharis Rade in case we forgot about what Geharis did. And, and also it proves the Nietzschean theory of genetic reincarnation. It can happen. Yeah. So maybe someday in the future, maybe we have a uh, Drago Museveni that we can look forward to somewhere. Okay. Somewhere down the line. Yeah. But anyway, that pretty much sums it up for me. It, it was just uh, it was, it was an enjoyable episode to watch, and that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. So anyway, that's our thoughts on it. We'd love to hear your thoughts as the listeners.
1: By the way, oh. uh, we did get an email from a, a new listener actually, and so I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, uh, to Christopher. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Uh, you, we, your email came in. We, I read it. Ryan's heard it. Uh, very grateful. Mm-hmm. Thank you for taking the time to let us know. And how could somebody send us an email as Chris did? Uh, they can do so by emailing us at driveback at gmail.com. We're also
0: on uh, social medias. We're on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Andromeda pod uh, both of those places. And all of our episodes can be found on Podbean. That is our home. We are www.andromedaseries.podbean.com.
1: And if you listen to us on iTunes, be sure and subscribe. And if you enjoy the show, leave a review or some stars. We certainly appreciate that. Good thanks to our
0: big friend Doug Anderson for giving us his voice for the opening quote this week. We are an Age of Geek production, www.ageofgeek.com. And we invite you to join us back here again next week as we look at the episode
1: "Into the Labyrinth." That's the one with uh, David Bowie. Oh yeah, yeah. It's home fries. Home fries. Home. Man. (laughs) Sorry. It's funny because it's so easy to do. (laughs) Let's try that one again.